Uh, if any of the children uh, haven't already left to go to children's church, uh, please do so at this time. We are blessed this morning to have Brother Chris Gore with us. Uh, Chris is a former youth pastor and a former lead pastor. He's kind of in between stuff right now, and since he's between stuff, that means we can get him. So uh, we, we know Chris because he's done camp with our folks that have done camp, and camp is a dear thing to me, as you all know. So, uh, Brother Chris, come and give us what the Lord's given to you this morning. Thank you. Oh, thank you all so much. Uh, I'm very honored uh, to be able to fill in for uh, Brother Josh and greatly for the opportunity to bring God's Word to you this morning. Uh, I'm hopefully not too much different. I, I try to go by what you have. Uh, but uh, if you happen to have a copy of God's Word, I ask you to please open up to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. And it is perfectly okay to open up the table of contents to find where it's at. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Just want to make sure. Make sure everyone knows that. Uh, so once you find it, we'll be reading uh, the first three verses. That is all this morning. Uh, and if you do not mind, if you are able to, I ask that you just please stand in reverence to the reading of God's Word. God's Word says, uh, The Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee, Tarsh, flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsha. He paid the fare and went down to go with them to Tarsha from the Lord's presence. Please join me in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for to be able to gather together in one building as a body of Christ. And Lord, we uh, asked that our worship this morning, please, be a blessing to you, and it may be a joy to your ears. Father, I ask that you open our hearts to your word and soften any spots that we need to be fixed in. Father, I lift up the nation of Israel to you this morning. I lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ that are around the world that are delivering your message in persecution when you ask for safety and for protection. Lord, I ask that you please give us at least half of the courage and half of the strength that they have so we may do the same. Father, I pray this morning the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be holy and acceptable to you and you alone. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So again, my name is Chris Gore. Uh, I'm very grateful, like I said, to be able to preach for you all today. Uh, I'm uh, just kind of a little bit about me. Uh, I have a former youth pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church. It was a church in Brandenburg. Uh, I've volunteered in all kinds of different positions, so I've pretty much gone from a volunteer. Uh, I worked all my way up to the lead pastor, and, and uh, now I'm kind of moving uh, in the direction that God wants me to go, looking into doing church plants. So there's God's got a lot of stuff going for me, and I'm very happy. I'm a graduate of Southern Seminary. I graduated this past May. That is the longest five uh, years I've ever had. Uh, if you've never seen a seminary class or been to a seminary class, uh, just go and open up one of the fire hoses and try to drink all of that water at once as it's coming out. That's about what a seminary class is like. Uh, five years of that made me about ready to pull my hair out. Um, 
So again, I just wanted to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the book of Jonah. When I was here with my family a couple weeks ago, which I do want to thank you all for being so welcoming, so loving to each of us. Uh, you have no idea how wonderful it is to walk in a church and just actually feel the love and see the love from coming. So we do greatly appreciate that. But Brother Josh pointed something out. He pointed some words out that says, love further. That y'all have been talking about that. And that, those two words kind of stuck in my head from that last visit. And I couldn't get it out and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I started applying that to my own self. How can I love a little bit further? How can I go a little bit further? What can I do? And as I was going through and I was trying to, I was praying, I was trying to figure out what God wanted me to talk about this morning, where he wanted me to go uh, uh, to give you a message this morning, uh, I was drawn to the scripture that we read. I was drawn to Jonah uh, chapter 1. And this is an example of what loving further does not look like. It's a pure example of what it doesn't look like. Uh, as a, a quick warning for you, just so you know, uh, I'm kind of a, uh, oh, how do I say this, uh, a, a contextual pastor. I like to make sure that you know what's going on, what's behind the scenes. Uh, because if we don't look at what's going on all around, uh, it's easy to take Scripture and kind of twist it and apply it in a different way that's not really intended. Now, we all do know uh, the story of Jonah and the well. It's one of very popular children's stories. It's a go-to, right? Oh, Jonah uh, got out and uh, he, he, he ran from what God said, but then he, he got on the boat and got thrown off, got swallowed up by a big fish and spit out on land, and then he went and, and did what God said. So that's, that's, that's our generality of, of it, right? We hear that from the beginning all the way up to now. And when we get to stories like that, we tend to sometimes just go, you know what, I know this story, so I'm going to skip through it a little bit quicker than what I should. The reality is there's so much within the book of Jonah that you can cover and that you can go to that it's actually mind-blowing. Uh, just these first three verses alone, I was thinking, oh my goodness, I could go here, I could go here, I could go here. There's a whole lot of different places that we could go. So as adults, that's something that we should do. We should go into each word of God and look at it and dig into it a little bit deeper every time. So the author of Jonah, we, we don't know who he is. We have no clue, and it's all right. Uh, it's... Uh, we know that Jonah uh, lived around the time of uh, King Jeroboam, which is uh, around 793, 753 B.C., somewhere around in there. Second uh, Kings 14.25 points that out, points out that he was a prophet of God. So he was a worker for God. He was specifically pointed out by God to go and tell people a message from God. So we need to keep that part in mind. So now God told him to go and to head out to a town called Nineveh. What do we know about this town? Well, Nineveh was the capital of an Assyrian empire. Okay, It was the biggest city. Uh, it says it takes roughly about three days to go from one end of the city to the next. It's a huge, huge city. And it's considered one of the largest cities or the largest city of their time. And we look at verse 2, it says there's evil that came up before God. So this city was nothing but evil. Uh, and God really took notice of it. As we put all we know 
about Nineveh, we can see that uh, Jonah wasn't really a fan of them. Jonah didn't really care for the people of Nineveh. So there are two things I'd like for us to pull out of these three verses this morning that I want us to look at to be able to apply for our own lives today. And the first thing is this. God calls us to go to people that are not like us. God calls us to go to people that are not like us. Looking at the first two verses again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Ammonite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God wanted Jonah to go to this capital city of Assyria, the largest city of its time, and tell a group of people that have done nothing but evil, Hey, God doesn't like you. How exciting would that be to have that job, to go and tell all these people that are doing all kinds of things, God doesn't like what you're doing. I can imagine all of you would raise your hand and say, hey, let's go do it right now, right? (laughs) I would have questions about that. Uh, Jonah had two things that he was supposed to do, only two things. God told him to go to Nineveh, and God told him to tell him about the evil. It's a simple task. It's a very simple task. Only two things that he was supposed to do. He's supposed to just show up and say, hey, you're going against God this way. It brings me to the question, what made Nineveh so horrible that Jonah was like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want to go. I don't want to follow what God said. What made them so horrible? We can see why in the book of Nahum. The book of Nahum, it's kind of a taunt against Nineveh, if you will. Uh, Nahum 1.11, it says, From you came out of the plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. So what's being referred to here is uh, that there was a letter that was prepared and sent to King Hezekiah that uh, was uh, plotting evil against Israel in the northern kingdoms and whatnot. And in fact, Assyria actually took over the northern kingdom at one point. They betrayed the trust of the northern kingdom of Israel. Nehemiah, or I'm sorry, Nahum 3.1, Nineveh is called the blood city. Nineveh is also called, uh, or say it's a city that's full of lies and a city that's plunders with no end. I can only imagine what a city would look like that is called a blood city or called the city of lies, a, a city of uh, plunder with no end. When they call it a blood city, they can uh, just impl- or it just implies here the murder of innocent people, the taking the life of innocent people on a regular basis, not every now and then, but regularly. A city that's full of lies speaks of nothing but corruption. Every day, every kind of level, there's some form of corruption. And then throwing in the plunder makes me think that if you have something, you can hold on to it longer than a day, then, well, you're pretty successful because no one stole it from you. That's what it sounds like to me, just this city of nothing but pure evil. So if I asked you this morning, without any pre-context of what we're talking about, what would be the city that you would think of? If I said, hey, this is a blood city here, it's full of corruption, full of lies. Would you think of Louisville? Would you think of Atlanta? What about Chicago? Seattle? Los Angeles? 
What about Elizabethtown? Radcliffe? What about the areas around us? Not to get political, but what about Washington, D.C.? How many of you would instantly think of Nineveh first? Probably none of us. I could almost guarantee that none of us would say Nineveh before any of these other cities. It would probably wouldn't even be on our list of cities if we had to write down a hundred. So these cities, we can see here that evil is all around us, right? Evil has always been here. We see it in Nineveh and we can see it in our cities today. There's not really much of a difference. But I want you, and, and I pray that you can see this, that Evil has always existed since the fall of man. Evil has always existed since the fall of man. When sin entered the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed what God had asked them to do, they had one rule, they they didn't follow that one rule. That's when evil entered the world. That's when sin entered the world. I've had many conversations with people about the stuff that's going on and you see all kinds of uh, things about, oh, we're in the end times, we're in the end times. Yes, absolutely we are. As soon as Jesus ascended, that started the end times. We're just waiting on him to come back. But they'll say, well, I remember the good old days. I remember the good old days where there wasn't this much evil going on. It just seems like everything has just gotten so worse. My brothers and sisters in Christ... You've never seen the good old days because none of you were around before the fall of man. That was the last time there was such a thing as good old days. The only difference between when you were a child and even when me, when I was a child, I'm, I'm almost 40, I'll be 40 in February. So when I was a child and when you were a child, you didn't see that much evil because it wasn't broadcasted as much. It still existed. It was still there. It just wasn't brought up to the front of us everywhere we turn, everywhere we look. We just didn't see it. Now we hear about it all the time. We hear about robberies. We hear about murders. We hear about all of this stuff going on. And when we hear about that thing, when we're faced with it constantly, we tend to kind of clam up a little bit. How many go to downtown Louisville on a regular basis? Nobody. Why? Afraid of getting robbed. Afraid of getting shot. Afraid of any of that stuff, right? We clam up. And we don't want to go out because we see all this evil and we think it's just getting worse. Think about here in churches. I haven't been in a single church that doesn't have some kind of security plan. That doesn't have some kind of security team. Why do we do that? Because we see the evil that's been going on in this world and we're now afraid of it. It's before our eyes constantly and that's all we see. We start changing our behaviors because of that. I've lived in the southeast my entire life. I'm from North Alabama. I'm from Huntsville. If you know where that's at, it's about four hours south of here. Uh, I, I left Huntsville when uh, I was joined the Army in 2003. Then me and my wife, we lived in uh, so outside of Savannah, Georgia. I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, I lived in Fort Bragg. It's now Fort Liberty, North Carolina. Uh, now here in Kentucky. Uh, you know, we, we've lived in the south our entire life. There's certain things in the South that you do that's just kind of normal, right? If you're standing in line at the grocery store and the person in front of you has two carts and you have your cart, you just have your, your one thing that you're needing to check out, there's someone behind you, you're just going to kind of chat with them, right? 
Hey, how you doing? Oh, you know, making small talk about their baskets, right? At least that's how I was. That's how I grew up. That's the stuff that I seen when we were in the grocery store. But now we have self-checkouts. We just clam up. We go straight to the self-checkout. We check out our stuff and we're out the door. We don't say anything to anybody. We don't talk to anybody. And maybe if the, the cashier comes up and says something, maybe it's, oh, hey, no, I'm good, thank you, that type of stuff. But nothing outlandish, no real conversation. We do everything not to say anything to anyone anymore. When someone approaches our house, what's the first thing we do? Close the blind, turn the lights off, get on the ring camera. Who's that? Who's there? And you try to figure out who's there before you even go to the door. I remember a time someone knocked on the door. You actually had to open the door and see who it was. Same thing with cell phones. You pull your cell phone out and you look. I've had, I'm ashamed to admit, I've had times where I put someone's name in as do not answer unless you have an hour to talk. I knew because I knew that person was going to talk to me for an hour. Uh, I had, you know, don't answer because he's going to drive you nuts. Things like that. I was able to look ahead and see, oh, you know, who was calling me and what was going on. I knew I didn't want to talk to that person. We know we don't want to see the people that's in front of us. So we have all these things that are going on. And part of that is because we know what kind of evil's going on. If someone we don't know comes to our door, we're like, you know, what, what is he trying to do? What is she trying to do? Is this a scam? Is this something that they're trying to do evil to me? We see this evil and we start making assumptions about other people. We start thinking things about other people with no bias for that assumption. We just look at how someone's dressed. And we make that decision immediately. We look at the tattoos that someone has and we think that immediately. We always have some kind of preconception. The evil that we see, the evil that we look at, makes us look at the world completely different than how we used to and how we should look at the world. In the verses that we read, Jonah was given instructions from God to go to a group of people that... He thought that he hated. It was a group of people that he didn't want to be around, that he didn't want to be associated with. God said, hey, I want you to go and I want you to tell them their evil has come up before me and they need to repent. You need to go and let them know what's going on because I'm going to destroy them if they don't turn their act around. Let's look forward to Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Uh, you know this as the Great Commission. Jesus gave command to the disciples to tell them to go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them. Notice, Jesus didn't say, go talk with others that believe just like you, that look like you, and, and, and talk to them about who I am and make them my disciple. No, Jesus said, go to all nations. All nations mean all People, every person you come in contact with, every person that you speak to on a daily basis, you should be telling the gospel to. We, I don't say you, we, we should be telling the gospel to. Jesus also didn't tell his disciples to just go do it. He didn't say, hey, I know you have no clue what you're doing, but just go and make disciples. Jesus didn't do that at all. Jesus 
demonstrated what it meant to make a disciple. Jesus demonstrated what it meant to live a perfect life. Take a moment to just think about this. Just think on this one thing. Jesus went through everything that He has already called you to do as a follower of Christ. There's not a single thing that Jesus uh, hasn't done that He's asking you to do. As a former leader in the military, I, that was one of the first things I would always tell my soldiers. If I got a new soldier, and I would tell them, I'm not going to ask you to do a single thing that I have not done myself or I would not do along with you. Jesus is the same way. Jesus said, I am not, I'm going to do everything and you're going to see everything that I'm going to do and I'm going to go through everything that you're going to go through. There's nothing I've done that you, or that you won't do. I think I said that right. Jesus went to every ordinary people. We have many accounts where people were, the, the religious leaders were upset because he dined with sinners. Uh, he turned around and he healed lepers. It's one of the first things we looked at in uh, Mark uh, chapter 1, 40 and 45. A leper came up to him. Do you know that in Leviticus 13, the priests are actually given instructions about leprosy and how to handle that disease? Those people that were lepers, they were sent outside the city. They were sent to live outside because they were considered unclean. No one was supposed to touch them. If they touched them, that person may become unclean. Jesus blows all of that out of the water, goes and talks with these people. He goes and talks with these sinners, and he makes them clean. He heals them. He goes against what the religious leaders were looking at. They looked and viewed them as outcasts. Jesus went and brought them in. Jesus didn't run from people. Jesus went to them. If you're a follower of Christ, you're commanded and expected to do the exact same thing as Jesus. You're expected to do the same. We're required to show mercy to those who don't deserve mercy. We're required to love those that no one else will love. We're required to do these things. We're required to tell others how you've fallen short of God's standard. You're and how we've all fallen short. And how we've all sinned. But when was the last time that you did that? When was the last time any of us did that? When was the last time you went to someone and you talked to them and you actually shared the gospel with someone? And say, hey, you're a sinner just like me. But let me tell you, we're destined for hell. We're on our way there. But God sent a handout with Jesus. When was the last time you told someone that? Some of us, it may be this morning. Others, it may be last week. Some of us may even be longer than that. But that's something that if you're a follower of Christ, you're, re Christ, you're required to do. These questions, these ideas, these thoughts of when we needed to go and tell someone of Christ and their salvation, uh, when we've done that, it brings me to another point. It makes me come through and goes through another point that I'd like for us to bring up. 
This is the final thing I want us to pull from this morning is this. Running from God doesn't work. You know, we all get those feelings that God's called us to do something. God's wanting us to go somewhere and want us to do something. He's wanting us to... You, you have the urge, hey, I want to say something to this, to this cashier. But instead, we just kind of keep going on. We ignore what we've been told. We ignore what we've been said. We keep going. We're running from... God, but that doesn't work. Look at verse 3 with me one more time. It says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it uh, to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The person that God appointed as a prophet, the one that God said, You are going to speak for me, told God, Nope, ain't going to do it. I'm going to go away, I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I'm going to run from you as far as I can run. Jonah did his best to run away. He went uh, and tried running to another city. He tried running to another place. Uh, We didn't read the rest of this chapter, right? Uh, But we know what happened. When Jonah got on the boat, a storm came up. God caused a storm, and uh, Jonah was thrown over after he requested to be thrown over because he was like, hey, uh, I'm a Hebrew and I'm God's after me. I'm going to sum that up in, in criticism, okay? God is after me. You might as well just throw me over the boat. That's what they did. They came and they these sailors were horrified. They finally found out what was going on. Jonah said, hey, throw me over, as requested. Threw him over. But before they did, notice that they cried out to God. They cried out to God to have mercy on us. And don't let us perish because of this man. And after the seas had calmed down, after Jonah had been swallowed up and, and taken away and all that, the seas calmed down and they recognized that it was God. It was the one true living God and they began to fear Him. They actually offered sacrifices to Him, uh, to the Lord, and they made vows. Jonah was trying to run away from what God was wanting to do, but instead he ran right into something that kind of was prepping him for what? Because these sailors were pagan, just like the ones in Nineveh that he was going to go see. God used Jonah for his glory when Jonah was doing his best to get away from God. And he used Jonah to reveal himself to a whole lot of others. So keep in mind, when people look at you, and they see you come into church, they see you get up on Saturday mor- or Sunday morning, and then you leave around the same time, and you come back around the same time, people put into, your he- into their heads that, hey, this person must go to church, this person must be a Christian. So keep that in mind whenever you're out and about. Getting off track a little bit, but when we see something that Jonah kind of forgot, is there's no possible way to run from God. Uh, God is always with us. He's always around us. There's no place that we can hide. If you look at Psalm 139, 11 through 16, the psalmist says, no matter where he goes, God is there. From the moment he's in the womb all the way up to any other aspect of his life, he is there. You can't hide from God. You can't hide your sin from God. You can't hide anything from God. God knows every aspect of your life. He knows what you're doing. He knows uh, where you're at. He knows the things that you think. He knows your heart more than anything else. 
Jonah ran from God because he didn't like the fact that God was offering grace and offering mercy to a city that was nothing but evil. Well, Jonah was trying to run from God. Jonah didn't want them to receive the same type of grace that they were receiving. Uh, you know, remember, Jonah was a Hebrew. He was Israelite. He was set apart. The Israelites were set apart by God. They were God's chosen people. Now, all of a sudden, God wants to extend His grace and mercy to people that are not Israelites, that are not part of the chosen people. How dare God do that? How dare God show someone else mercy? How dare God try to bring someone else into our fold? They don't deserve it. You can't show God. God, you can't show mercy to someone else like that. You can only show mercy to us. I don't believe they need mercy. Some of you, this is the second time you've ever met me. Most of you, this is the first time that you've ever met me. There's, a couple, there's one, at least one I know of that knows me a little bit more. I want to tell you a little bit something about my life. Okay? March 10th, 2008, I was involved in a suicide bombing in Baghdad, Iraq. Five of my friends were killed, including one who was my daughter's godfather, who's my best friend, he was in my wedding, killed by a suicide bomber. Our interpreter was also killed, along with uh, a couple of shopkeepers. It was a bad day. I've been to Iraq twice. First in 2005, 2006, and in 2007, 2008. Between both of my deployments, I, the deployments, my 27 months that I spent in Iraq, I've been through 19 roadside bombs, two car bombings, a suicide bomber, and I've been shot at more times than I care to count. When I got home, and I got to a point to where the only thing that would come out of my mouth about the people of that region, about particular people, was how much I hated them. I hated these people. I despised these people. It was to the point that I couldn't go to certain places. And it was to the point that my hatred was affecting my family because my wife would look and she would see how I was acting and she would look at the surroundings and if she seen people look in a certain way, she would steer me the other way. It affected my family, my hatred. So many times I had conversations with God. I prayed to God. I said, God, just destroy that entire country. Turn them to a glass parking lot. Destroy them. Bring every mitt of your wrath on these people. On this entire group. They don't deserve a thing. I've yelled at God so many times that you don't understand, God, what I've gone through. You don't understand why I feel the way I do. You don't get it. God can whack you in the face sometimes. While gathering and getting deeper, or I'll say, while getting deeper into my relationship with God. Realizing that he's calling me into ministry, which is a fight of a whole different story in itself. The more I study God's word, the more I started getting the answers to all the times that I yelled at God and to all the times I prayed the things that I 
prayed, I started realizing that everything that I was fussing about, that these people had done to me, I'd done to God. Every single bit of it. All the evil that I had done to me, God, it was done to God as well. God knows what it's like to have so much hurt. God knows what it's like to be sinned against. We've all sinned against a holy God. You know, thinking about it, I helped hammer the nails in His hands and His feet. Each strike was something that I had done in my life. Instead of stopping it, Jesus continued. I helped shove the spear in His side. But yet, Jesus continued. I'm the reason why Jesus was there to begin with. He didn't have to be. At any point in time, he could have said, I'm done with these people. Come get me. But yet, he continued to stay on the cross. God showed so much grace and mercy through Christ on the cross that he didn't have to show. He didn't have to show me, He didn't have to show you, but yet He's still done. So why can't I show the exact same mercy to someone else? Why can't I show the same grace to someone else, the so much grace and mercy that God showed me? What gave me the right to be a judge of a group of people who don't know Christ? So many times I ran from opportunities to share the love of Christ with someone because of, uh, of, of my hate. And my own selfish desires to take the place of God in the judgment seat. What about you? When was the last time that you ran from what God's called you to do? Because your hate or your displeasure to someone was just that strong. You wanted to go into God's throne. You wanted to sit in His judgment seat and say, no, they don't deserve the same mercy that I do. When was the last time that you were like that? When have you run from sharing the love of God through Christ because someone is fully participating in the lostness of the world and they're living a sinful lifestyle? When have you run from God by not inviting the person that's covered in tattoos to church or the person uh, who just got out of jail? If you really think about it, all of us have run from God at some point. And all of us are going to run, continue to run from God at other points. It's just how we are closing this morning. There's so much more that I could go into about the story of Jonah. It's four chapters, but I, I encourage you to just take those and just read through line by line and pull up a study uh, and, and just see what all you can pull out of this one uh, book, this one book in the Old Testament. It's more than something that we just skim over. It's more than something we just hear thousands of times in church. There's a lot more to it. Jonah ran from God because he wanted to be the judge. He wanted to take God's place. He had such a hate for a group of people that they were just so sinful, but he didn't realize that they were just as sinful as he was. He didn't realize that. He didn't have that in his head, that God was showing him mercy and that he should sow others, so he, he ran. 
He ran instead. This morning, I can almost guarantee that each of us can think of a time at one point in our lives where we ran away, where we decided to step into God's throne. We decided to step in His judgment seat and say, this person is not worthy of coming to church. This person's not worthy of hearing God's mercy and grace. And I'm here to tell you right now that when Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and he said in his letter that Christ uh, came to save sinners... Uh, and that he was the chief of them, he hadn't met me yet. I would probably give Paul a run for his money. I don't know how someone can say that they're a greater sinner than me. There's no way. I know what all I have done in my life. I know the thoughts that I've had. I know the things that I've done. I still don't understand why God uses me the way he does. I don't understand why God shows me mercy, because if it was up to me, I wouldn't receive it. There's no reason for me to receive the mercy that he does. But yet, through Christ, he did. Through Christ, he saved me. Through Christ, he showed me mercy. He showed me grace. So as we get ready to leave this place, when we go out and we go to our restaurants, we go and we go to the grocery stores, we go and see these other people, instead of looking at them at sinners that are too far gone, let's look at them and say, you know what? If God can save me, then I'm surely going to say he'll be able to save someone else. We're all sinners. All of us have lied at some point in our life. If you haven't, raise your hand, because you'll be lying in church. I guarantee you, we've all lied at some point, right? We've all murdered before. Wait a minute, What? We're not a murderer. I've never murdered anybody. Jesus said, if you hate another person, you've committed murder in your heart. That makes me a murderer. I don't know about you. Jesus said that if you look at lust on another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. Well, I'm guilty of that one too. I'm not ashamed to admit it. We all stand before a just and a righteous and a holy God guilty. There's nothing we can do, there's nothing we can say, there's nothing we can offer to God to receive His mercy and grace. We are all on the fast track to hell. But God said, I love you. You're my children, you're my creation. I want to stick a hand out to you. And that hand came through Christ. God reached us by sending Jesus, who was fully man, fully God, came and lived a very perfect life. He lived a perfect life, not a single sin and yet was found guilty, nailed to a cross, died, and then rose again three days later, conquering death and showing that he was fully man and fully God. He, that's the gospel message. That is it. That is the gospel message. Because the, Christ died for our sins and then rose again. That is the gospel message. That is how we are saved. That is how one is saved. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that message that knowing that if you place your faith in Christ, that you are saved from all of your sins? How do you process that? This morning we're about to go into some time of reflection. This time for you is not, it's time for you to reflect on your own life. It's time for you to look in your own heart. See where you have fallen short. See where you need to grow and seek God more than anything else. It's not a time to get ready to gather your stuff and close your Bible and get ready to go. No, it's a time to reflect on God. We reflect on the fact that if it wasn't for admitting our sins and repenting from them, 
in placing our faith in Christ, we would be in a lot of trouble. We'd be in a whole lot of trouble. So it's time to thank God for what He is doing. It's a time to pray for our others that we know that don't know Christ as their Savior. It's time to pray for opportunities to share Christ with those people, to be able to bring it up. It's a time to pray for those that aren't here, to bring them back. It's time to pray for others that are going out and sharing the gospel. It's time to come before the Lord for your own troubles and your own problems and laying those burdens down that don't belong to you, that you're not supposed to carry. So if any of that applies to you this morning, there's going to be plenty of people I know that would be more than happy to pray for you this morning. I'm one of them. I would love to do so. The opportunity is here. So whatever the Lord is leading you to do this morning, I pray that it be done. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we come before you this morning. We are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your grace and for your mercy. We're thankful, Father, that someone in our life has decided to say, do you know who Jesus is? Let me show you. We're so grateful, Father, to be able to call you Father. Lord, I pray that as we get ready to leave, that you put in our hearts and our minds others that we'll be able to share Christ with. Burden us, Father, with that person. Lord, if anyone here does not know Christ as their Savior, as we get ready to say, Father, I pray that you work on their heart. I pray that you convict them, Lord. I pray that they only see Christ as their salvation. I pray, Father, that they do not rest. Again, Lord, we just thank you for loving us. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.